This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey there, everybody. This is Chris. Good uh, evening. Good evening. Well, you don't know when they're listening. Yeah. Good morning. You, you post it in the morning. I like. start every morning with a Geology Flannel Cast. I don't know about and you. My alarm clock. Anyway. My own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jesse. That's what I say to myself every morning. Yeah, that's why we end every podcast with Chris. It's time to wake up. <laughs> Ooh, mm-hmm. that's terrifying. If I heard that every morning, Jesse, it's time to get up. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to no. the premier geology podcast, <laughs> the geology flannel cast. If, uh, if this is your first time, it's only downhill from here. Yeah, man. <laughs> send us your name. I'll, I'll send you a wake up message as well. Mm. No, thanks. <laughs> My side business. Creepy wake up messages. <laughs> Actually, yeah. No, I, I'll pay you. <laughs> I'm in. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed to get you out of bed. <laughs> well, we have a, uh, you know, we got a new idea for today's podcast. So we'll see where this goes. It's it's only going to be amazing. So that's oh. what we're banking on. But new concept for today's podcast, trying something completely, completely new and outside the box. Um, so here's the deal. We could not for the lives of us think of a topic to cover for today. Ah, that is not completely true. We had a topic, we, we, but we had like, plenty of topics to cover, but we had just one that we talked about and <laughs> not enough time to cover it properly. Yes. 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 So we came to the conclusion. Here's what we'll do. We are going to pick up an intro to geology textbook and are we going to do the table of contents or just randomly open up a page? We're, we're doing the table of contents. So uh, the, one, okay. one of the wonderful uh, perks of being a Patreon member is you get to listen as we record live. And we have uh, Patty, Maddie, and Mark listening to us right now as we're uh, you know, recording this directly. And I have in front of me a intro to geology textbook, Earth, and Introduction to Physical Geology. I'm not going to tell you the authors unless they want to sponsor us, but uh, (laughs) so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just close my eyes and circle around the table of contents and our Patreon Mark at some point is going to yell, no whammies, no whammies, stop. And for those of you old enough to remember that game show, uh, you can smile now and leave us a good comment, but, uh, and then we are going to talk on said topic now seminac is worried about a few of these topics so but i'm gonna say if we if we hit it we gotta talk about it i'm not worried about it but i just don't think that they'll be exciting to talk about all right well you know mark pressure's on you then i guess you know if we (laughs) if we have a dud of a podcast it's all your fault so Come on. Not not our fault in our life. Pressure's of off of me, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I am going to close my eyes, and I'm just going to go up and down on the table of contents until you say stop. Stop. All right. 
We are stuck between chapter 11 and chapter 12. Earthquake and earthquake hazards or earth interior? Let's put that on Maddie. Oh, Maddie. Mm. Tiebreaker. No, I love earthquakes. So, earthquakes. All right. Earthquakes it is. Chapter 11. Here we go. All right. Now I'm just going to read to you directly from chapter 11 (laughs) for the next hour. (laughs) Chapter 11. Earthquakes and earthquake hazards. All right. I would listen. Aftermath of a just devastating tsunami at the ocean coastal town of Banda Achi on Indonesia. How do we want to? How do we want to? Banda Achi. Real uplifting topic for today. Um, (laughs) Everybody dies, basically. Um, So where do we uh, just start from the? Yeah. Start from the beginning. Start back from. uh, All right. So in the beginning. Like Earth forming and then plates form. Big bang. How back? How far right, back? So we got to talk about. I guess we got to do a little couple couple minutes real fast on tectonics to give it a tectonic background on the where the different type of tectonic settings where your earthquakes can occur. Right. Yes. So there's three types of boundaries. Well, I'll just start off with this. All right. So there's three types of boundaries: divergent, convergent, and transform boundaries. All right. Where do you, which, which one of them has earthquakes? Well, all of them have earthquakes. There you go. Was that a trick question? Uh, Um, You could. Yeah, we did cover earthquakes episode 42 back in May of 2020 uh, with Kelly Blake. We talked a little more specifically about the regional earthquakes in California, but let's get into it, Chris. All right. So you got your, uh, like I said, your convergent, divergent and transform boundaries. Uh, divergent just is where your plates are pulling apart. Um, things like, uh, like the, the mid ocean Ridge, the mid Atlantic Ridge for, is an example of a divergent boundary. You're, 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 uh, you're getting new crust forming. You can get earthquakes occurring there. They're not going to be your big Mondo earthquakes. Uh, they'll never make the news. You'll never hear your newscaster talking about an earthquake happened in the middle of the Atlantic ocean today. Um, but they're like, which I think it's an, it's an under, uh, covered news topic but carry on yeah. a 2.0 earthquake hit the middle of the atlantic ocean and nothing happened i mean yeah, i feel like we talked about topic. a 2.0 earthquake when they hit the jersey shore or something why not i, I guess nobody would, lives there nobody we would lives there. we would have nobody to have a affected. cable news channel dedicated to 2.0 earthquakes because there's like a million of them a year yeah <laughs> well that's that's the other thing yeah I, yeah. <laughs> yeah just you know just in the past day there was Two point two point five or greater. There was forty one. <laughs> um, all magnitudes. There was three hundred and eighty two. Wow. A day. So, all right. Convergent. Mid Atlantic Ridge. Lots lots of earthquakes, but they're little little guys because they're constantly stretching, breaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they don't have time to build up that stress. Yeah, they're stretching and breaking. Plus. You, at divergence, you have magma that's forming from decompression. So you get magma that's sort of squirting up and through the cracks. And so you get little sort of magma-induced earthquakes as well. Mm-hmm. Little little ones. But, you know, like, uh, like if you have like a 2.0 earthquake, that's not even, uh, that's like nothing. But I, I believe, like, so... What I was told, like uh, when you feel like when there's like a tractor trailer driving down the street, that's that's that has more intensity than a 2.0 earthquake. 
you wouldn't even feel a 2.0 earthquake. So yeah. uh, the earthquakes, the types of boundaries where you do feel the earthquakes, you're going to be dealing with the transform boundaries and the convergent boundaries. So with the convergent boundaries, we have a couple different types of those. You can have two continents colliding into each other. Like you'd have like uh, India smashing into Asia, the Himalayan mountains. There was a, she went, how long ago was that really bad earthquake on Everest? Was that 2018, 16? Oh, the one that uh, destroyed that, that national or not the national, the world historic. No, the one that killed all the people. They shut down Everest for that. The Hillary step. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 20, yeah imagine, 20, imagine get up to Everest and then just the thing that takes you out is the earthquake that hits. It's not even <laughs> like the stuff that you've you know, been trying to prepare for with storms or, or anything like that. No. Yeah. 7.8 <clears throat> killed 22 people. So that's a, a convergent of continental to continental. You can also have convergent boundaries of oceanic to continental mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that'd be uh, a good example of that's like the uh the pacific northwest so but the uh continental to ocean boundaries that's like the cascadia fault uh there's a lot of talk about that one if that thing rips you're looking at i i believe they're uh, predicting like a 9.0 earthquake off the coast of Seattle, basically, if that thing, if that thing rips, that's going to be, that's going to be bad news bears for the, the whole Pacific Northwest region, because yeah, when you're dealing with uh, any volcano, any volcano, excuse me, any earthquake um, or any of these um, convergent type boundaries, uh, when there's an earthquake that rips underwater, you can get the tsunamis occurring there. And that's just like, the one-two punch right there. So imagine, I think we talked about this on the podcast before, uh, but imagine 9.0 earthquake rips, all right? And obviously you're shaken up. This is like, you know, it's crazy. And you're like, oh, I, I'm, you know, there's so, if that doesn't take you out, then you kind of, obviously you're stunned and you're just like, what the heck just happened? Because that was one of the craziest experiences of my life. And then depending on how close you are to the epicenter of the earthquake, then the tsunami comes in and, you know, it's like, you know, are you thinking to run to higher ground at that point? And it's just, you know, you basically have two, two natural, two horrendous natural disasters occurring within one day. And so what makes it so that the, the 9.0, and, and we've talked about this before about how the uh, the Richter scale, I guess it's not, we we don't really use the Richter scale anymore. It's the moment magnitude moment magnitude scale. Thank you. I was drawing a blank there. Uh, it, it's a logarithmic scale, so um, it's not a true base ten logarithmic scale, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, uh, base thirty three. Thank you. So. Uh, you know, to go from an eight to a nine, it, it's not just, you know, one more bigger. It's, it's huge. So a 9.0 is pretty darn close to as much as physically possible amount of energy released all at once. Uh, I, I forget what the largest one was in Chile. Was that a 9.0? 
six. If you stall for a second, I can tell you the exact number. Uh, but and it, but the, the what, what I'm getting at is there's the, the stress needs to build up. So you need to have plate tectonics happening. You need to have a plate moving or trying to move. And you're just kind of stuck against another plate. And that stress is building up, building up, building up. And that the rocks only have so much strength. Like you can only put so much stress on, on a pencil. If you, if you try to bend a pencil, it will bend a little bit, but eventually it gets to the point where it's not going to bend anymore. It just snaps. Same things happen with the rocks. So rocks can only physically handle so much stress, so much buildup of that uh, stress you know, it starts to strain the rock and the stress wizard causes strain. Is that, That's the way I remember it is the stress is like this imaginary or not imaginary, but invisible force. It's very difficult to measure, but the strain, you can actually see the rocks bend and the rocks are going to bend a little tiny bit. And depending upon what type of rock and all that stuff, it, eventually it's going to reach a point where it, it can't stands no more. And then bam, it breaks. And, and- Go ahead. I was just gonna say that the energy <clears throat> gets gets stored in that in that deformation in that strain that that bending of the rock when it when it builds up enough energy and it overcomes that it's friction that's causing it to get stuck. That's why these rocks get stuck. And when you build up enough energy to break that frictional hold, the rocks return to their original shape. And so it's that bounce back, like you were saying, with the pencil, when it when it, the pencil bends, but then when it breaks, the pencil goes back to its original shape, which is straight. You have two pieces now, but right, right. It's original. But shape. The, the two pieces are no longer like half moons. They're actually yeah. now straight pieces. And again. so that's the release of energy. And that's where that you get that shaking is from that release of energy as it breaks in a, and the rock itself going back to its original shape is going to be the movement that occurs and, and, and the, you know, the, the shaking that, that you see with things, the displacement. Um, I always think of it. I think I've used this analogy before is if you're, if you're wearing like a hoodie or a coat and you're walking through your house and the, your pocket gets stuck on a doorknob. Does that ever happen to you? You walk by a corner of something and like all the time. Yeah, all the time. I was going to say cargo pants because I'm a dad and I wear cargo pants a lot. It happens to me all the time walking through the kitchen. Yeah, that, that that's the exact same. That's plate tectonics. You're moving in one direction and the drawer, the whatever the knob is moving in the other direction. Yeah, or not moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then you get stuck and you keep moving. That's what plates are doing. So because the mantle is always convecting. So it's always pushing those plates. So the energy is always just sort of building. And then you build up enough energy that you overcome that frictional hold and your pocket rips and it, it catches up with you. It, it, it rebounds, if you will, and catches up to where you're at. Um, that's, that's how I think about it. No, and it's no bueno. It's to, it's to the point where uh, I've been asked to change the shape of my knobs in my kitchen. I thought you were going to ask not to wear cargo pants. No, come on. <laughs> that too. Don't, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, fun fact, uh, the strongest earth or the largest earthquake ever was a nine, five, nine, five USGS in Chile in 1960. Yes. And I knew it was the, in Chile. I thought it was maybe a nine, six, but 
they, pretty close, pretty close. You're, you're pretty much right. Um, for all intents and purposes, you're right. Uh, and then the second worst earthquake, uh, 9-2 in southern Alaska, uh, Prince William Sound, 1964. Yeah, that was the that was, Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, well, uh, third worst is a 9.1 in Sumatra, Indonesia. That's the one that caused that giant tsunami. 2000? I believe, uh 2004. 2004. 2004. I, that that day, two, yeah. 250,000 people died from that tsunami. Yeah. yeah. And then um, uh, the fourth worst earthquake, uh, 9-1 off of Japan, tw- 2011. Yeah. That was the one that hit Sendai. Fukushima Daiichi? Yeah. 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 Fukushima Daiichi. Took out, took out the nuclear power plant there. So there's your top four. And... Uh, uh, just to keep it even, top five. Uh, we have a, a 9.0 earthquake uh, off the coast of the uh, Kam- Kamchaka. Kamchaka Peninsula in Russia, so that's uh, 1952. The, that's the peninsula that's just across the Bering Sea from Alaska. That's and you may Kamchaka be Peninsula. thinking to yourself, wow, the top five biggest earthquakes were in the last 70 years. Well, we've only really been measuring them for about I'm gonna go 150 years. No, and even then, well, even even then, it was it was very very localized. The, you so you the had China, you had size. Well, the Chinese started uh, repeatable oh. repeatable data. Okay, I, okay, I was gonna actually go younger. I mean, because Charles Richter didn't really come up with his scale until the 30s. Well, yeah, but you, you had you had uh, seismic data recorded from like the 1906 yeah. earthquake in in uh, i feel like you didn't have any you didn't have like a standardized scale for that. no no you're right you're right okay yeah i mean Gut, like benno gutenberg did a bunch beforehand um that's why we named the gutenberg discontinuity and i mean you had moho mohorova sidich was in the early 1900s too but i feel like richter really standardized how you measure these things okay and that's i mean there's something to be said because that's one of the things in science especially is you know and this is a a big thing because this is something we experience everywhere on earth right but how do scientists how do people talk about or compare these events and you need some sort of standardization some sort of scale some way to communicate it to others as well. Yeah, yeah. To compare what's happening, say here, there, and everywhere, if you will. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so, I, I was, I was being a little generous because I, I know I've definitely seen seismic data going back to the 1850s, sixties, but yeah, I, yeah I, I, know. I see what you mean in that. It's not really. And th- there's, there's a whole field of what's called paleo seismicity where, folks are using sort of the the data that's available and assigning a magnitude to it but i mean yeah there was that that's almost yeah, like a proxy say, though not not yeah. not really recorded data yeah and I, I mean there was enough people like i said moho and and gutenberg and um ing uh ing lerman layman who was all these people and they have discontinuities named after them so they were sort of studying how seismicity affected they mainly in, in the interior of the earth. But um, yeah, I don't want to say like 
Richter's the end all be all because we don't even use his scale anymore. Uh, they, they, you know, they still refer to it a lot in the news because that's yeah. what people learned in grade school. And, or whatever. and so just I mean, should I just real quick, the difference between the Richter scale and the moment magnitude scale? Yeah, get into it, it real quick. Do it. So Richter, I mean, it's it's a it's a neat and sort of really tidy uh, scale. Who was the person with that was with Richter developed that scale with Richter? Yeah, we we've talked Uh, about this. Yeah, we did, and and he didn't get any credit. But uh, where were they? They were at Columbia, uh, right? Yes, Montgomery. And the the reason that uh, we're going to look his name up right now, if some uh, Jesse or Steve wants to look it up, I I talk about it for a second. What happened? We we talked about this on a previous podcast, but not me. I can't type. The Jesse, if you wouldn't mind looking it up, um, oh, well, he probably has one of his tabs open now with it. The gentleman was he was deaf, right? Or he was he was. Yeah, I think he was deaf and he didn't like talking to the media, but he did all the actual work. And Richter was like the younger, like almost like, you know, quote, a pre- oh, no, a pre- it was good. Yeah, it was Benno Gutenberg, like I was I was saying. OK, yeah. And and yeah. And and so he like the press would ask him questions and he would just basically say, like, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't hear you. And he would just defer right to Richter. And so that's why Richter got all the all the all the glory from this thing. They call it the Richter scale. But it should we, be the, we did the talk Gutenberg about this. Scale. It, might, it might have been in a Patreon extra, but uh, we did talk about this. And that's that's why they named that discontinuity after Gutenberg, right? Yeah. Yeah. But supposedly Gutenberg was the brains of that whole concept. And Richter was more of like the understudy of Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so what would also be interesting. Uh, we don't have an outline for this podcast today. No, if, no. if only we knew how to format that. Right. Uh, well, we can format our thoughts right now. I wonder if the formatting formula has some sort of a stenographer uh, service where they can just come up with a format on, on the fly for us. That would be fantastic. But uh, no, uh, this is this is about the time when we talk about our wonderful sponsor, the formatting formula. So formattingformula.com or www.com formaticformula.com or youtube forward slash c forward slash formatic formula um so the formatting formula is there for all of your word formatting needs they can come up with custom toolbars at the top for you know if you if you do a lot of this or a lot of that or a lot of footnotes a lot of header i don't know lots of crazy intricate stuff can be done with word um regulatory requirements for uh Certain documents need to be formatted exactly specific way, and the formatting formula is right there for you. They can do dissertations, theses, you know, fantastic stuff. Can't say enough good things about them. Um, obviously, this week, doing our flying fickle finger of fate, we did not have an outline today, but that does not mean that the formatting formula does not sponsor us because they do, and they're wonderful. And the best way to get them to continue to sponsor us is make sure you tell them the geology flannel casting. So check them out formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. So I don't want to keep throwing Richter under the bus here, but do it, but it's okay. Uh, he won't hear it coming. Oh wait, that was Gutenberg. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Gutenberg was actually deaf. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, but he was German, so maybe no. There he had or he had some type of disability. I I was I was trying to find anyway. Well, while well, you prove that <laughs> the Richter, the way the Richter scale works is essentially he came up with a scale where he looked at the maximum amplitude, um, which would equate to the maximum amount of shaking from that event and the distance away that you recorded that amplitude. So however far you are away, what's the maximum amount of shaking you, you experienced or the maximum, you know, uh, uh, S wave, which we can talk about waves here in a second. And basically it was, it was a scale that had three lines that had, you know, your amplitude and then uh, on one end and the distance away on the other. And you would draw a line connecting whatever the height of your amplitude was in millimeters to your distance away. And it would go through this middle uh, line, which was your Richter scale measurement from one to whatever. And it was, you know, like Steve said, a, a semi-logarithmic scale, one, two, three, four. So there's no technical upper limit, but, and which is, it's interesting because that's, that only takes into account literally the highest amplitude peak. You just disregard the rest of the, the shaking, the rest of the energy. And, you know, even early on, I didn't even realize this. You had, um, uh, other seismologists like uh, um, uh, Kiyo Wadadi, who is the Japanese seismologist to the Benioff Wadadi Daddy zone. zone. Yeah, yeah. is named after, who suggested we also need to consider how much of the earth actually moves, how much displacement there is. And that's the modern measurement takes that into account. So when we do so the modern, what we call moment magnitude scale takes into account, it doesn't look just at maximum amplitude now. It looks at the duration, how much energy was released total. So the, the duration of shaking or duration of energy released and how much the earth actually displaced. Did it move, you know, a centimeter? Did it move like in um, Sumatra the, off the coast of um, Banda Aceh there? The, the big one that we just talked about, 9.1, it moved. I, I want to say the displacement was like nine meters. Right? Yeah, it was, it was like nine, fi- nine 15 meters. 15 meters. 15 meters. That's insane. You're talking about like hundreds of kilometers of Earth. Let me get the exact number, but I think yeah. it was like like Shift. 45 feet or so. It was like it's a ridiculous ins- amount. So like but- the amount of energy needed to move that much Earth. And uh, yeah, what yeah, daddy, that, that would be like you sitting in your house, you have an earthquake and then all of a sudden there's a 45 foot cliff in front of your house. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Those earthquake induced cliffs we call scarps. Mm. Ah, fun, fun terminology. So real fast before we move on. All right. I, uh, here we go. I found a, uh, an article from the New York times was well, back in, they actually wrote a whole article about, uh, the article is entitled "It's Really the Gutenberg Richter Scale" from November tenth, nineteen eighty nine. Right. Nice. And uh, second paragraph in, it was a letter to the editor, uh, all about uh, Gutenberg, Benno Benno Gutenberg, right? Yeah. And it says, uh, 
uh, here, let me just read this one. It's like three sentences. So let me just read this one, uh, one section from the, uh, the article here. It says uh, that the press almost always neglects Gutenberg flows from his personality. He was extremely hard of hearing and had equally limited eyesight. Without I, his hearing aid and glasses, he was both deaf and blind. He found meeting the press painful and would send his assistant, Richter, who enjoyed the attention to deal with them. After Gutenberg's death and no longer reminded by Richter, the press simply dropped Gutenberg's name from the scale. <laughs> I, I will never doubt you ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but back, circling back to Jesse's point with the moment uh, magnitude scale, it, there, there's a ton of information that needs to be gathered before you can come up with that number. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously, you know, sign up for the alerts from the USGS. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding, but I do sign up for the alerts from the USGS and I get, I used to sign up for anything over a five and I was getting multiple emails a day. I was like, forget this. So now I, now I get anything over a six, which is, uh, you know, a ton less emails, but the, you get these alerts and it says preliminary. And then usually in about a, a couple of days, you get uh, adjusted because they think it's about a 6.2. And then they actually do all the calculations. They figure out what the displacement is. They, they calculate all the energy. You know, they, they can't do all these things instantaneously. So you, you get that. Yes, there was an earthquake. We think it's about this big. And then a few days later, they actually do all the calculations. They figure out they gather all the data and then they, they reassess it. And then you get an updated, like it went from a 6.3 to a 6.1 or something like that. So that there is a lot more information. So the Richter scale is nice, easy, like, yeah, this is how much, this is your amplitude. This is how far away it was. It was a 6.1 done. Just really quickly looking at these four or five people you know, Richter and Gutenberg. I'm just reading real quickly on Wadaddy. Wadaddy, so he, his early work in the late 20s on depth of earthquake and displacement and energy release led Richter and Gutenberg to develop their scale. And Benioff, who came up with the Benioff. So the Benioff Wadadi zone that we mentioned is just in, in subduction zone. So where you have an ocean plate subducting under either another ocean or another continent, uh, you can tell the angle of subduction by just plotting up where the earthquakes occur and you see the, the angle at which it's subducting because the earthquakes occur at the plate boundary. Um, and Benioff, I didn't realize, was also like a, sort of like a genius inventor. And he came up with the sort of the, the early modern seismometer where you think of a, so the way a seismometer works is you have a, a rotating drum of paper that's just constantly moving and it, it shifts as it moves. And you have a pen that's on a weight. And so as the drum moves, the pen is just making like a straight line essentially. And then if the ground shakes, the pen will, on the string, on this weighted string, will start shaking, start moving, shifting in the direction of motion. 
and it'll make a mark on the paper. And that's what early seismometers were. And it was Benioff who, who sort of designed this, this idea. Yeah. Not, not only early there, that's how seismometers worked for like 90 years. Yeah. Until now, now, now they're, yeah. Now they're digitized with, uh, uh, accelerometers and things like that. Yeah. But, but before, before, you know, I, I'm guessing what the late nineties, it was pretty much drums of paper. Yeah. It started using, uh, a lot of them use electromagnets too now. Mm-hmm. Any sort of voltage change tells you something about uh, shaking. Yeah. yeah. So Benioff, and then I always I feel like uh, Ing uh, Lehman always gets sort of the short end. She she was the Danish seismometer seismologist who lived at the same time, and so she um, has many women scientists of this time period sort of don't get the credit they deserve but she helped basically discover the the core mantle boundary and and um basically showed how the inner earth how these seismic waves how this energy traveled through the inner earth um so really really incredible how you just have like these, you know, oftentimes we, we do, you don't want to think about singular people because it's usually many people, but shoot, this was a time when there was like five people that were just like coming up with just killing it. (laughs) And unfortunately, if they're, if they're blind and, and deaf, they're not getting the credit to deserve. No, but if they're true scientists, you don't really care about credit. You just want to make sure the information's out there. Yeah, yeah, not really. But <laughs> <laughs> give me says, that credit. Says the glory hound over there. Yeah. Let me. Uh, one other thing that I just uh, fact checked. I just want to make sure that we got this right. The 2004 Sumatra earthquake in the Indonesian area. Um, so it looks like the Burma plate slipped. 20 meters or 66 feet Whoa. at the location of the earthquake but that but the sea floor above it moved up to five meters vertically oh, okay. okay i thought it was nine but i don't know why that was yeah. so it's where the ep- actual epicenter of the earthquake was versus the focus right 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 no yeah yeah i understand that's that, still but. like 15 or 16 feet of, of the 16 sea feet five meters of 16 yeah. feet yeah so that was 16 feet of vertical movement at the bottom of the sea floor does there. it have the length yeah uh, ver- uh 11 meters horizontally so it wasn't like a straight up it was it was a obviously it's at, at, at an angle yeah oblique but still that's but the whole thing know. but the whole plate slipped 20 meters at the at the epicenter and, and that's part of why there was such a tsunami because at, at the focus not the epicenter right the epicenter at, is the point ah, on right, the yeah, surface right. yeah at the, so the, you have the sea floor shifting up 16 feet over 36 feet. And so you're pushing all of that water up. And, and that's creating this bulge on, on the, the, the sea surface. Yeah, it's essentially like a small m- meteorite hitting the ocean to create that big of a wave. Bloop. Ooh. Yeah, like that's right. That. I said bloop. Um, should we should we talk about so we talked about uh, Watadi and knowing the depths of the earthquakes 
Should we talk really quickly about uh, P and S waves and I guess triangulation a little bit? Just just to yeah. So when you have an earthquake, you have what are called primary waves and secondary waves. So well, want to get into all the waves? No, because uh, there's more than there's the no, the there's the, waves, the love, love waves, and rally wave, yeah. rally and love, yeah. So, uh, which is essentially when the primary and the secondary waves touch. I don't know. It's what's just a, when they come to the surface, they yeah. transform at the surface. Exactly. So, but just just to break it down, just so you can figure out where, like, you know, you keep saying like, oh, the depth of the earthquake. Well, how the hell did they figure that out in you know the the 1920s or 30s so the you would have these two distinct type of waves you know that the rock breaks and you get these vibrations through the rock and you have what's called a primary wave and a, and a secondary wave uh the 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 waves have different properties. One is more like a spring, like a slinky going in and out. One is more like, uh, you know, your standard like ocean wave going up and down. And the, the scientists measured enough of these earthquakes to figure out that these waves move at different speeds. So the primary wave is primary. It gets there first. It moves much faster. The secondary wave is, is slightly slower. And then depending upon, you know, they, they've measured enough of these that they can figure out when the primary wave hits. And then that duration, that kind of like you see the lightning strike and then you, you wait a few seconds and then you hear the thunder, you can calculate, okay, how far away am I from that lightning strike? Same thing happens with these primary and secondary waves. So they can, they can calculate how far away, like, okay, the primary wave came now. Wait, wait, wait. All right. Here's the secondary wave. Okay. I can measure that. That means that this earthquake happened 10 miles away from me. Okay, great, but you don't know 10 miles in what direction. So you just draw a circle around yourself. There's a 10-mile circle around me. And then you talk to other scientists or other stations and say, okay, you know, you draw a circle around your imaginary timeline of when the primary and secondary wave hit. And then you have at least three points, and you can figure out where those three circles interact intersect. I, you know, I'm saying circle. I guess technically it's a sphere, but where those intersect, that's where your earthquake actually happened. So that these scientists measured, figured out like, okay, here's a, here's a rumble. Oh, here's a bigger rumble. Okay. Well, this seems to happen at every single earthquake. There's, there's a rumble and then there's a bigger rumble that follows it. And then depending upon how far away from the actual earthquake I am, that, 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 time between the primary and the secondary wave that the small rumble and the big rumble gets bigger as I get further and further away from the actual earthquake. So it's kind of, I always, I like to use this, uh, this analogy. It's like your drag rate. You have two cars that are drag racing, right? So your P wave is represented by, say, like a really nice Porsche, like a Porsche 911, right? And I don't know what that means. It's just, it's okay. A, a nice sports car, nice, a good sports car. Right? Okay. And then you have your S wave is like, say, a 1995 Honda Civic. Okay. Yeah, I can picture that. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> 
So don't badmouth civics in front of Steve. I, <laughs> but listen, okay. So they start drag racing. Now say they're only racing a half a mile, right? Well, we all know the Porsche is going to beat the Honda Civic, right? In the, in the half mile stretch. Okay. But now if they race, what's going to be the difference between if they race a half mile versus 10 miles. So that difference between the, the Porsche and the, the Civic hitting the finishing line is going to be, it's going to have a bigger gap after 10 miles than what you would have had over half a mile. Right? Yes. But and to so- blow your analogy out of the water, what if it's for 400 miles and the Porsche runs out of gas at 200 Ooh. miles? Oh, and then the Assuming that we, the Porsche is run by Colt Fusion, <laughs> I, go forever. <laughs> oh, Mr. Fusion from Back to the Future. Yeah, there you go. Uh, or if you picture a train next to a horse and they start at the same sort of pace and they're neck and neck, but over time, the train gets further and further ahead. That's how I, I think in terms of well, what if your train uh, runs out of coal, it's a steam engine train and it runs out of coal. And the- <laughs> I, like, I like how you're using specific models of cars and I'm using 19th century transportation. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that gives you direction. Uh, just real quickly, depth of earthquakes is measured. Uh, you, you can measure it either the, the frequency of the waves that come in, or something that's called the, the P phase. So it's the, the, how the P waves, I don't really understand it. Um, how they're, you can measure how they reflect off different things in the subsurface. Um, and they come in, there's different phases that the P wave um, hits well, here. Speaking of which, let's talk about real fast. So um, you Geologists and physicists can look at how the seismic waves propagate through the earth. And that's how we figured ah. out the different layers on the inside of the, basically the anatomy of the earth. Right. And that was, uh, what's her name? The Danish. Yeah. Ing, Ing Lehman. Ing Lehman. Yes. So P waves. So we know, the, okay. So the, the earth's, uh, uh, so obviously the crust is solid. Uh, the mantle solid, the outer core is liquid, and the inner core is solid. How P do we waves, know that? Prove it. Well, we know that because you can see that the, the P waves from the earthquake travel through all that stuff solid, liquid, whatever. It doesn't matter. The P waves are going through it. Now they get refracted and stuff like that. And we'll get into that in a second. But the S waves get absorbed in liquids. S waves cannot go, cannot travel through the liquids. Nope. They're like, Oh, Nope. I'm out. Ain't happening. It ain't happening. So we see a shadow zone, uh, from the, uh, on, uh, from, uh, we see an area where the S waves, you you, you, the S waves don't go to certain parts of the, uh, right. So let's say hypothetically you had an earthquake dead center North pole. You're going to see on seismic stations all around the globe. You're going to see those S waves everywhere except for this large circle around the south pole and it's like wait so i see the p waves everywhere i see the s waves over most of the planet but there's just like what chris said this shadow zone this zone where the s waves just don't make it through and uh the scientists figured out that you know there has to be some sort of liquid you know tootsie pop center (laughs) 
It's like a, a like a, a lava cake. One of the greatest desserts ever made by humanity. Um, so good. <laughs> That's what the inside of the earth is. So you get this shadow zone. Uh, you don't, basically the, the, the S waves don't, you, you won't, if you're more than 103 degrees away from the, uh, from the earthquake, you're not going to get any, any S waves whatsoever because the outer core is going to basically absorb that liquid outer core is going to absorb those S waves. Now, when you go, when the P waves are traveling through, they're propagating through the earth and they hit that mantle outer core boundary, they get refracted. And so there's a shadow zone on just, either just side. real quick. Refracted means like bent bent. Yeah. 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 So you get this shadow zone of P waves between 103 and 142 degrees. So there's, if you're exactly 180 degrees away from, if you're like on the exact opposite end of the, of the earth from where the earthquake occurs, your seismometer is only going to pick up the P waves. It's not going to pick up the S waves, but if you're within this zone of 103 to 140, 42 degrees away from the earthquake, you're not going to, you're not going to detect anything, nothing. It's just like, just nothing. It's another, another normal day. So yep, that's you're, how you're in your safe room. You're exactly. <laughs> So it, that's, that's, that's the premise on how people figured out, you know, that there is a liquid outer core. But you think about this, this would mean that there would need to be seismometers deployed, deployed all over the planet. And there are. No, I know, but the, <laughs> what? <laughs> but there were over a hundred years ago, which is kind of crazy you know you, you figure uh, you know even a seismometer today you know uh essentially you have a seismometer in your phone but a, a real deal legit certified seismometer it's a it's a chunk of change no they're yeah i mean they're very like tens of thousands of dollars on the on the lower end so there's, yes. and you can't just have a seismometer wherever you want. Number one, you, you don't, to have like a legitimate seismometer, you don't want it to be in a building. At the very least, you want it to be in the basement of a building. If you have a seismometer on like the, even just like the first floor or the, or, uh, the second floor of a building, what's going to happen is the natural reverberations in the building is going to create so much background noise. You're not going to get good data. And the other thing that you want to do when you want to, you want to bury your seismometer in the ground, right? And you don't even want it to be anywhere near close to any major roads because mm -hmm. just the seismic wave, the very, very slight little seismic waves that cars and trucks create going down a road will create too much background noise and yeah. you'll, you'll get, you, you won't get that great of data. So you want to, the ideal seismic location, the ideal seismometer location is going to be in the middle of nowhere. And so, they tend to, they, how far, like, do you guys know how far they bury these things down? I think it's like 10, six, five feet or so, a couple feet down. Yeah, it's yeah. a couple feet down. So yeah. Temple University has a seismograph in the, in the Eastern Coast array for the USGS. However, Temple University couldn't put one on campus because we have, close to Center City, we have, uh, I-95, we have 
a subway. We have elevated trains. We have trains. So there was just too, too much interference. Now you could put it there and you could still get good data, but all the, anything like you're getting essentially a, a magnitude two earthquake every time a bus drives by. So anything from two and under, we're not collecting any of that data. So that that's really not very, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of data that the USGS or, or whoever wants to study it. So we moved it to a, a off-campus site, uh, Ambler campus. We have another camp. We have multiple campuses at Temple. But so they moved it there where it's, where it's much more remote. I mean, there's still highways nearby and things like that. But, you know, they're, they're buried, you know, the case that the the tool and concrete and everything like that, like, but it, 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 it's near the soccer. It was near the soccer fields. Um, now they don't use that soccer field because they built a stadium on campus or near campus, but you could actually detect when, when there was a soccer game, when there was a soccer game. Yeah. Cause you would have the players running up and down the field. So that that's how sensitive it is. Like you could, sense somebody running nearby and and we can we as you know humans as scientists can tell how the earth responds how the earth shakes and it's not really a shaking right especially with with earthquakes like p and s waves p waves are compressing and, and dilating the rock and s waves it's a shear motion that's why it doesn't go through liquid because liquids don't have sheer strength. Um, so it's, it's the rock actually sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, compressing and dilating. Instance. Yeah. I, so I like the, to think of it like a slinky. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, like the, imagine a slinky on a string, like the, 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 the slinky's going in and out and in and yeah. out. Whereas they can go up and down too. Yeah. yeah the, the, the up and down oh, yeah. sheer right. motion of a, of like a, a ripple in the, the sleep pond yeah but you you can you can yeah but it i mean so we can tell different types of shaking from the seismometer like the players running up and down the field are going to shake the earth differently than an earthquake a train going by that's how we so sometimes the question is like how do you know that's magma moving versus an, a tectonically driven earthquake or a nuclear bomb that's or also a nuclear they... bomb yeah that's that's how we know north korea tests nuclear weapons not like north korea tells us they're not the most talkative bunch and it's because well, they the, are but <laughs> the ground, yeah. in a different type of way yeah the ground shakes differently for different things and so the ground from a nuclear blast is different than an earthquake from a volcano from you know, a herd of bison across the prairie. Yeah, so there's a I, famous line at, in Dante's Peak where he's like, these earthquakes, they're shallow, they're magmatic, they're not tectonic. Yeah, exactly. And he was right. Dante's well, I'm, Peak. I'm looking at some seismic data now from the uh, Pacific, uh, Pacific Northwest Seismic Network, and they're, they can tell when the Seattle Seahawks are having a football game. Oh yeah, yeah. You you might see headlines that say like the crowd caused an earthquake that could be recorded. Yeah, I mean, 
we record lots of things but it's true like if everyone's jumping up and down at the same time you could especially in college football games many times because geology departments have seismic seismometers that are usually very close to the stadium mm-hmm. 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 yeah and some, sometimes it's even a fun demo day like all right everybody let's go and jump up and down and that's see if we can record it so oh yeah yeah you know, Chris just sent a link and it's actually really funny. It's, it's from the, the PNSM, the Pacific Northwest seismic network. Uh, I would have called it the PNWSM, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> but they show always the game, a critic Thornburg <laughs> and you can see when they score a touchdown. It's like, there's a jump. The crowd goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so seismic seismic waves are just sound waves that are just propagating through the earth. And there's, there's really, you know, yeah. when, when earthquakes rip, what the, the seismic waves that are propagating through the earth are very, very, very low frequency sound waves. You're not going to be able to hear them. Right now. There's some speculation that maybe some animals can have like an extra sensor. They have like a one up on humans on detecting these, uh, these earthquakes. You guys ever see the, uh, there's supposedly somebody this is not science, by the way. All right. I'm just, just prefacing this right now, but it's a fun topic to talk about on a podcast. Um, there's supposedly somebody out there that can predict when earthquakes are going to happen. This person reads, uh, I guess, well, in, in newspaper articles uh, or like, uh, or I guess. Oh, based on uh, when dogs go when, when dogs, or, when dogs yeah. run away. Yeah. 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 That's a great clip. Yeah, so I don't. I guess that's that's a little dated now because you know, I guess you, you know the newspapers are kind of yeah. don't really have the circulation like they used to back in the day. I guess but, you have to go to like uh, the next door app or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but supposedly I don't. And like I said, this is not proven science, but it's just like it's just an observation. I guess I wouldn't even say it's like bro science. How would you phrase like it's just like kind of. Yeah, I don't know. Pseudoscience. Pseudoscience. Yeah, there are definitely there are definitely data points, but it's hard for it to be repeatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the it's point fun about to talk science. About, but that's about where it stops. You know, the, the thing about science is you you need to be able to repeat your experiment, and if yeah. you can't, then then shame on you. And I think you're a witch. <laughs> She's a witch. <laughs> She's a witch. Burn about the steak. <laughs> no, I'm not going that far. I just don't don't trust their science. Uh, so let's see. Uh, other fun facts about earthquakes while we're just kind of going off the tops of our, of our heads. Predictability, right? That's like the holy grail of earthquakes. Is if you can if you can predict when the earthquake's going to happen, then that's like I said, that's like the holy grail of I've, of that that field of geology. That's the whole premise of uh, the movie 2012. The very beginning is that he thinks he can. Uh, what's his face? The actor, famous, thinks he can predict her. Uh, what is his name? That the guy from holds the boombox over his head in that one 80s movie? No, well, John Cusack is Cusack. the main guy. Um, the the scientist is, uh, is that the one where Woody Harrelson has yeah. like the, oh, the crazy radio station? Good, I would listen to that radio station, conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Yes, um. But he plays a seismologist who thinks he can, who can um, use magnetism. Yes, magnets. How do they work? Yeah, we still don't like know. a magnetic <laughs> spike or something like that. Yeah, uh, it is. Da, 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 boy, 
You wow. IMDB. Well, yeah. yeah. Why? Why yeah, you're looking? Why? Cast is really. Why you're looking that up? There's so a lot of heavy hitters. In speaking of cast. predicting earthquakes, so there were uh, six Italian scientists, geologists, oh, who were tasked with uh, figuring out the hazard risk in this one Italian town, and they came in. They they did their study and they said no there's there's a low probability of an earthquake and and i forget what the time frame was but it was really short like days to weeks later an earthquake hit and 309 people in the town died and the for the first time these scientists these geologists were put on trial and said you're grossly negligent. You said there was not going to be an earthquake and there mm-hmm. was an earthquake and they got sentenced to six or seven years in prison. Did I don't think that did. Let me look this up. I, I remember that six, next, six scientists got sentenced to six years. I think that they didn't serve any time. Yeah. I don't. It's, well, it looked as up. Okay. either uh, way. They got sentenced. Yeah, to six it was years, ridiculous. Yeah, was they, like, they went to trial and it was it was it was kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you say it's ridiculous as a geologist. I'm sure those families of those 309 people who died were like, you know, uh, yeah, they, did, they did probably, you just show up and just drink just wine like, okay, and, and so fake like, your data okay, they or meteorologist that was... botches the uh, that botches the weather forecast and then a blizzard hits? You know, or something like that. Yeah, like that, point. it'd be the equivalent of like putting that person at trial. Be like, well, exactly. You it's, said I there guess wasn't just, going to be a blizzard. It and depends now it's on like how grossly. Are you grossly negligent? Did you actually do your job, or did you fake it? That's where the question comes in. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Oh. I, I, yeah. Sorry. This is uh, this is a very heady topic, and. I want to engage six years, but it, I, it wasn't 2012. It was the movie San Andreas and it was Paul Giamatti. Was yes. Thank you. I, I thought I, I was going to correct you, but yeah. Bring us back around to what? No. Cause his partner died out there on the Hoover Dam. Yeah. Yeah. Saving a kid. So he's the hero. He's the hero. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, pr- predicting earthquakes, like Chris said, the Holy Grail. It's, it's. There's so many. Yeah, I wouldn't say infinite, but there's pretty darn close to infinite amount of variables. So it's it's very very difficult to predict exactly when. However, there is a lot of data being recorded, and we know about the physics of the rock, and you know you scientists can recognize like, okay, there was an earthquake here on the fault in the North part. There's an earthquake here on the fault in the South part. There hasn't been an earthquake in the middle in X amount of years. And we know how much stress has been building up. So the probability of an earthquake is pretty high for this section of the fault fault, meaning like a, a section of rock that's, that's already broken. So, the it's it's a it's a probability game it's a numbers game it's not an exact science because there's just too many variables to to be that exact but you can kind of kind of like there's a you know the the flood maps and like the 500 year flood and the 100 year flood and things like that like they they come up 
they, there's lots and lots of data that's going to tell you the predictability of it, but when exactly it's going to happen, you, you just don't know. Same thing with volcanoes. You know, you, you can have lots and lots of data and then all of a sudden just something happens or doesn't happen. And it's, it's very hard to tell. So by the way, the, those Italian scientists, uh, I just looked it up and they were back in 2009, they were, there were six of them that were convicted of manslaughter. Um, they're sentenced to six years in prison. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I goofed that up. They were convicted in 2012. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. That and earthquake was in 2009. The earthquake was in 2009. Yeah. The, uh, they got, they were given six year jail sentences and, uh, there, that was, uh, they were thrown out. that was thrown out two years later. So I don't know. I'd have to do some more research. So it was thrown out two years later. So of a six year sentence, they served about two years. Which is yeah. Nuts. Uh, yeah. Again, as a geologist, I agree. Uh, You know, as someone who may have known someone who died in that earthquake, I don't know. It's a tough call. I think with anything with science, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a high bar that's been set by society and, and also by scientists. I mean, we, we we're respected because we have integrity and we do our job correctly. Now for a judge and jury to have that base knowledge of what is actually involved in figuring out the frequency and probability of an earthquake maybe they were informed maybe they weren't i don't know so they so. were uh three seismologists a volcanologist and two seismic engineers along with the public official walk into a bar <laughs> so um I like it. yeah that was a that was a let's i'd say that that was a very unique case in Italy. It definitely, but it definitely shocked the scientific world when that Absol- sentence yeah. came I mean, out. There's there's articles in science that were that were written about this. Yep. Scientific yeah. American, like oh, so all it, the it, all it, the if, if you get an article published in science, it's like I mean, and this is like top tier. This is part of the issue. It's it's it's, it's something we, we deal with <clears throat> when we talk about climate. It's something we deal with. It's something that just more recently talking about COVID, <clears throat> and this is some of it stems from this and some of just the nature of being scientists <clears throat> is that you, you rarely see scientists who are like, no, this won't happen into it. Like being so um, absolute on something mm-hmm. by nature, we're a very, <clears throat> I don't know. We, we hedge a lot. And it's yeah, just, you're there's always, always, there's always a chance you're wrong. Exactly. It's there's like if you're ever writing a, sci- a scientific paper, you never, very, 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 very rarely will you ever say, if ever, hey, this is a hundred percent. I'm banking everything on this. I'm going all or nothing. You know, and you know, you, you say, you say, most likely, this is what my evidence is pointing towards. Most likely, this is the case. And I think that in some cases, that hurts the communication. Because it leaves the door open for dummies to come along and be like, "Well, you're not entirely sure, are you?" But at the same time, like, you no, know, you're not entirely sure that, you know, an asteroid won't hit me tomorrow carrying, I don't know, made of 
a hundred thousand tons of unicorn sugar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I do, I caution my students. I say How many African elephants is that? Yeah. Yeah. I caution, I always caution my students that if, if someone is saying something with absolute terms, you should be wary of that claim mm-hmm. because, you know, we rarely know anything with absolutes. And so sometimes it hampers our communicating say risk but at the at the other time yeah the the opposite end you know if you talk too absolute and say something like there's no earthquake for 200 years and an earthquake happens yeah that's you got an egg on your face you know yeah 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 so it could, it's and yeah it's just it's tough when it's it, it, it can be life or death mm-hmm yeah, I, yeah, I, I, agree. I agree. Yeah, so essentially, geologists are heroes. Um, I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you did. I mean, yeah, I'm happy that you threw that out there because let's 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 talk about this. I don't want to say with absolutes. I'll just say we're usually the hero. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had breakfast with the geologist? It's pretty amazing. <laughs> That's what I say every morning when I'm eating by myself. My eating my is pretty your, amazing. Your steak and eggs. <laughs> oh, tomorrow steak and eggs. Get ready. Ah, uh, for those of you not from the Philadelphia area, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's sold everywhere. There, these things called steakums. They sell down really, the south. It, really thinly sliced beef, and you fry them up like a cheese steak. And it's, it's can- not. It's not quite a cheese steak, but. It's pretty darn close. You can make a pretty, pretty decent cheesesteak with them. Yep. You yep. put on a roll, some cheese. And... Yeah. It's it's not the same, but, ooh, it's good. It's close. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had steakums in years. Oh, my goodness. It got them in my freezer. Come tempting on me. Tempting me to go to the grocery store tomorrow. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, gentlemen, we did not cover the... The whole complexity that is earthquakes, but I, I, I don't feel know. Like, any other uh, fun facts? What are, I didn't, I, uh, fun facts about earthquakes? It's kind of <laughs> hard to say fun fact about yeah. earthquake. <laughs> so, like any they, fun like, facts about homicides? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, not like that. If you, <laughs> I mean, we've detected quakes on other planets we've detected moon quakes and mars quakes and venus quakes i are did not they, know that that's really cool are they quakes. do they have their own sort of plate tectonics well we don't know that's sort of the question we don't know if other planets like mars or, or venus the rocky planets have their own plates or plate tectonics but we do detect seismic activity. But as we've sort of alluded to here, there's lots of things that can shake shake the planet. No, um, I know for 100% absolute certainty that I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys know what the, in, at least in the United States, the most tectonically active state is? Hawaii? No, tectonically. Yeah, what, what, well, basically, what I'm saying, what, what earthquake has what earthquake? Which state has more earthquakes? Take a guess. Jesse, I would either say Alaska say, or Hawaii. Yeah. Steve, 
I'm going to say uh, Alaska or Oklahoma. You're both right. It's Alaska. Well, at Oklahoma, that's an interesting one. Oh, yeah. Holy we didn't even touch crap. on man-made. Woo! Human Oklahoma induced. has more earthquakes in California. It does. And they've only started registering earthquakes since like the late 90s, early 2000s. Interesting. It's all anthropogenic. Well, yeah, it's mostly human anthropogenic. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here's I'm on this USGS website of uh, cool earthquake facts. I'm just going to take a couple of them out here. The earliest reported earthquake in California was felt in 1769 huh. uh, by a group of explorers. Um, they were camping about uh, 30 miles southeast of Los Angeles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 1769. Mm-hmm. Do you really call it camping? Sleeping. <laughs> I, I mean, when, that's a good question. We could, could explore. When does it go from just like sleeping outside to camping? Yeah, they're not glamping. I can tell you that much. No. <laughs> uh, okay. The San Andreas Fault. We didn't even talk about the San Andreas Fault. Holy shnikes. Uh All right. The, I mentioned the movie San Andreas starring he did, The Rock. He, did. The he Rock, did. Yeah. And that's pretty much you just watch that. It's like a documentary that's all you need on to know. San Andreas Fault. I, uh, over the last uh, three million years, the San Andreas Fault is moving at 5.6 centimeters a year, about two inches a year, which is roughly twice as fast as the Atlantic Ocean is growing. Yeah, so about twice as fast as your fingernails grow. Yeah, that's how fast the uh, the San depending Andreas upon how much typing you do. Um, what's another f- fun one here? Uh, there's moonquakes. We see that already. Yeah. Um, the question that I have is uh, actually no, it's not even a question. Never mind. Um, I was going to make a reference to, of the uh, the the Ring of Fire in terms of like the Johnny Cash song, but you know it wasn't going to be a funny joke, so we'll just keep on moving. <laughs> I'll just no, but but it is interesting to note the Ring of Fire. It's basically a ring of plate tectonic interaction you know the edges of plates all the way around the pacific ocean so you have nothing but earthquake centers and volcanoes all the way around the pacific yep good old ring of fire um here's a fun fact uh it is estimated that there are half a million detectable earthquakes in the world each year Half a million. Uh, let's see. You want you guys want to do some quick math and divide that by 365 real fast? By finish yes. reading this statement. Uh, uh, a hundred thousand of those can be felt, and only one hundred of them can cause damage. Th- one thousand three hundred and sixty-nine per day. Holy crap! On average, uh, one 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 thousand three hundred and seventy. Yeah, you rounded. I didn't. <laughs> well, it's 69.86. Come on. I felt that point eighth of an earthquake. It started at 1159. <laughs> <and ended laughs> yeah, yeah. So over a thousand a day. That's crazy. That huh. are detectable. Doesn't mean you can feel them. It means that scientific equipment can pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's here's another fun fact. I'm just kind of going through these. This is a really cool website, by the way. 
Uh, I just Googled fun facts about uh, <laughs> earthquakes. The origin of the name San Andreas Fault. Do you guys know where this comes from? No. I'm, ex- I'm on the edge of my seat. Saint oh, better. Andre. Yes. Ah, San Andreas. Patron Saint. Uh, San Andreas Fault is often cited as the, uh, the origin is often cited as San Andreas Lake. However, based on some 1895 and 1908 reports by geologist A.C. Lawson, that kind of dates back a ways, who named the fault, the name was actually taken from the San Andreas Valley. He likely did not realize at the time that the fault ran almost the entire length of California. Hmm. That was, I mean, I've been let down in my life. (laughs) That's a pretty big letdown right there. I was expecting something much more grand. No, no, no. no. Well, why is it San Andreas Valley? Valley? I wish it was named San Dimas. San Dimas Uh, High School Football Rules. How big is the San Andreas Valley? (laughs) I'm I'm not really up to date on that. Uh, I can't even find any. Yeah. Anyone? San Dimas High School Football Rules? Where's that from? Bill and Ted's. Bill and Ted's. Ah, uh, Bill and Ted's. Our, our, well, let's hear from Socrates Johnson. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, I'll leave you at this last fact, and this is this is this is an actually cool, uh, an interesting one. Um, no, actually, oh. two fun facts. So this is a less interesting one. All right, Florida and North Dakota have the smallest number of earthquakes in the United States. There you go. So okay. So if anybody asks you in trivia, Alaska has the most in the United States for earthquakes and Florida and North Dakota have the least amount of earthquakes. I'd be interesting to see how, how long North Dakota stays in that realm. They're fracking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Apparently it's not really. San Andreas, St. Andrew. Hmm. And it's it was it was a small yeah, probably some mining, missionary yeah. gold mining town yeah all right and then the final I'll leave you guys with this this is the final fact I'll talk about on this website um, the world's deadliest recorded earthquake occurred in 1556 in central China. It struck oh. a region where most pe- most people lived in caves carved from soft rock. The dwellings collapsed during the earthquake, killing an estimated 800 and 830,000 people. Oh, my Jeez. gosh. In how many? Wait, how many? 830,000 people. That had to be like a gigantic chunk of the population of the world. Boom. 1556. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, I mean, there was in um, 19... 19- Crap. 1976, there was an earthquake in China, in Tangshan, that killed... Um, 250,000? Two, something like that, yeah. That's the next sentence on this fact, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. I yeah, didn't realize yeah. it was that many people. That's insane. So, I just say this. If you are... Earth, most of the deaths, the vast, vast, vast majority of deaths from earthquakes, not tsunamis, just only earthquakes. Just forget about tsunamis for this fact. 
um, occur from some type of infrastructure damage, whether yes, your some sort house of- collapses on you or fires or you know something something like that. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, is anthropogenic. If you are in the middle of some field in Kansas, right? You're in the middle of a, a cornfield in Kansas, and let's just say theoretically the worst earthquake. Uh, you know, we get a 9.6, which would be the worst earthquake ever recorded hits you. Uh, number one, you won't be able to stand up. You'll fall on your butt. But banking on the fact that you survived the fall to your butt, um, nothing else would happen to you. That would be it. Uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, you might be smashed around a bit. You might like break an arm well, or break a leg or something like once that. Once you but, fall on the yeah. ground, though, it's not like there's going to be a crevasse well, that opens up and you fall down to the center of the earth. No, but you could get tossed up and down on the. Okay, you know that's a good point. Yeah, well, I don't, so, but much, but uh, ch- chances are you're not going to die from it. You're not going to. Yeah, yeah. If chances are, yeah. if you're in the middle of it's going to be scary as heck. Yeah, you know, depending upon your balance and your uh, agility, you, you might break a bone or two, but you're not going to die. But yes, you, you could be in a significantly smaller earthquake in a building and die. So yeah. So uh, the vast majority of uh, casualties from earthquakes occur from like basically human infrastructure failure. And that's my last fun fact about it. Well, thanks for bringing us down, Chris. Appreciate it. That's what gets the views, man. All the different ways you can die. You know? Yes. I, I do. I did enjoy our first flying fickle finger of fate. I'm sorry that I landed between two. Yeah, I really didn't know what to do. I thought in my head, like, maybe I should just make the call, but I'm glad we made the Patreons make the call. So there you go. Well, for the thank you, Patreons, the, the Patreon extra we're going to do right after this, we should do it again, but see if we can cram it all into like 15 minutes. Uh, that's a negative ghost rider. There's no way <laughs> the pattern is full. Anywho, we'd like to thank our sponsor formatting formula. We'd like to always thank our Patreons, especially the ones who are listening and helped us with this podcast topic this evening, this morning, since we're having steak and eggs and podcasts for the breakfast. Yeah. Um, Should have gotten bacon. I was thinking about buying bacon. I was at the grocery store today. Uh, you dropped <sighs> the ball on that one, buddy. Steakums. Steakums. Steakum and eggs. Steak-ums. Steak-ums. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to look. At, I'm going to look at my freezer right now and see if I have some. Yeah, do it. I'll, I'll FaceTime you tomorrow. We'll we'll have breakfast together. It'll be glorious. So it's the opening day of the Olympics tomorrow. That's oh. the breakfast of champions right there. I thought nope. it wasn't until the evening, or is that just their... Yeah, just... yeah I, I I have no idea. No yeah. fans. Probably. No fans for the Olympics. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do our... We're going to be doing our next podcast live from uh, Japan and the uh, doing our Olympic coverage... We're not doing that at all. Uh, <laughs> Six fifty-five a.m. Like time. Oh, let me check like, Eastern Standard Time, seven a.m. Yep. Oh, so like seven hours from now. Yep. Let's just nice. stay up. I'm in. That's a lie. I'm gonna sleep for four hours, then I'll get up. I'm gonna fall asleep in three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse fell asleep fifteen minutes ago. Actually, <laughs> he took some Ambien. He's just sleepwalking right now. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a nickel. <laughs> I have to send a send out an apology tomorrow. For- <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate you and uh, take care and brush your hair. Or go to, uh, if you'd like to, if you really, really, really like the podcast, uh, you can check out, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to help support us, you don't have to, but we really appreciate it if you, if you can. Uh, Patreon.com slash geology flannel cast. Uh, we have a bunch of different tiers uh, set up there and, and uh, uh, the different tiers start at as little as $2 a month. You can what? Hang out with- $2 a month? $2 a month. That's it. That's it. You won't even realize the money's gone. For your bank account um but <laughs> anyways you can hang out with us uh while we're recording the podcast we put some uh extra videos up some patreon exclusive videos up and uh or you could have a whole topic of your choice that we will spend an entire episode on uh devoted to talking about that topic so all those fun things on uh, patreon.com slash geology flannelcast so be sure to check that out um, or just tell a friend. That's all you have to do. Just tell a friend if you want to help support the podcast. We really, really, really appreciate that. Help us yeah. out. Get, get Join us out. in July. Uh, geologyflannelcast.com. You can check out some of the merch we got up on there. Some t-shirts, clothes, coffee mugs, stickers, all that fun stuff. If you want to uh, get some flannel cast swag there. So uh, check that out. Thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, this is a fun one. We should do this once in a while. Just random random topic um next thing we're going to do is probably go through a structural geology textbook and just go on a uh, a random topic on that and then uh <laughs> yeah, speaking of being asleep in three minutes <laughs> oh, I, know. I know some people that are going to want to punch you in the face for saying that but <laughs> kelly blake specifically yeah but- <laughs> especially since we just covered <laughs> earthquakes and plate tectonics yeah. <laughs> Um, All right, everyone. Thanks so much. We love you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll see you guys next week for another fun and exciting episode of the premier geology podcast out there on the internet, the Geology Flannelcast. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Stay less. <laughs>